be careful. Beware. Have you heard about the latest danger to your health? Wexting. Now, if you catch it, it could lead to serious bumps, serious bruises on various parts of your body. In fact, wexting can affect your ability to see and significantly impair your motor skills and slow your ability to make decisions. Wexting. I have a video of people with serious cases of wexting. Now, I must warn you, this is a graphic video, so please restrain yourself as you watch this. Here is wexting. Come on, be honest. Who here is thankful that your wexting mishap wasn't caught on video? Beware of wexting, walking, and texting. The Wall Street Journal ran an article that noted a 2015 pedestrian safety guide uh, prepared by the Gover Governor's Highway Safety Association warned people of the dangers of keeping your head down, texting, and the difficulty it causes in walking a straight line. One study found that a person, when texting and walking, decreases their peripheral vision by 90%. Beware! Paul Sappho wrote, as early as 2008, that we should beware of Wexters, as they can be, po quote, potent weapons of mass distraction. Walking and texting, they just don't mix well. Beware! Well, in the same way, beware. Beware of your pursuit of righteousness, that it isn't simply a way to show off in front of others. And that's Jesus' point in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Now, let's just do a quick review of our Sermon on the Mount series so far. Jesus opens his teaching by explaining how the life of a citizen in the kingdom of God believe, uh, begins with solid Christian character, as expressed in the Beatitudes. Character that compels a disciple to be an influence in the world as salt and light. Jesus then described how Christian righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees by living God's words from our changed heart and the Holy Spirit within us. And that now brings us to our text this morning, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Look how it opens in verse 1. Beware. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Notice how Jesus continues his teaching on the righteousness that is to surpass that of the Pharisees. Jesus gives the warning. Beware. Be careful. Now, back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, righteousness was described through the moral actions of kindness, purity, honesty, and love. Now, righteousness will be considered through the religious or the devotional practices of giving, prayer, and fasting. But before Jesus gives his teaching, he commands his disciples to be careful. Now, what's the warning? Here it is. Be careful not to practice 
your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, if you're following Jesus' flow of thought from the beginning of Matthew 5, you may be saying to yourself, hey, wait a minute, Troy. I thought we were to be light so people could see our good deeds. But now, now Jesus is saying to hide our good deeds? Why the contradiction? Well, actually, Jesus is being consistent. He's simply talking about two different sins. You see, back in chapter 5, Jesus is dealing with the sin of cowardice, where we are afraid to be noticed as disciples of Jesus. But now in, John, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is dealing with the sin of pride, pride that seeks to show off our righteousness to make ourselves superior to others. Uh, let me share with you a quote by A.B. Bruce that states the holy tension we are to have as disciples. He writes this, We are to show off when tempted to hide, and we are to hide when tempted to show off. That's good. I like that. Let me say it again. We're to show off in our humble service to others, so Jesus is made famous. But our devotional life is to be private, so we do not brag, so we do not draw attention to ourselves. There's a story that's told of a monk who used to sit in a prominent place on a busy street corner in the city. Every day he would sit there covered with dust, covered with ashes. A tourist walking around the city asked the monk if he could take his picture, to which the monk replied, just a moment, please. Let me rearrange my ashes. Well, there are times as disciples that we want to rearrange our ashes in order to impress others, to look holier publicly than we are privately. Do you know what that's called? Do you know what it's called when people look holier publicly than they really are privately? It's called hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus is warning the disciples about being hypocrites. Hypocrisy has always plagued God's people from Genesis through Revelation. And God confronts the hypocrisy of Israel in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. Listen to what it says. God says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away! Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. If we're not careful, we can simply conclude that hypocrisy is bad because it got, gives God's people a bad reputation of being frauds. Now that's true, but there's a greater crime involved in hypocrisy than simply giving God's people a bad reputation. I think it's this. There are two occasions Jesus mentions how the righteous actions are being practiced to be seen by others. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 and verse 5. For the Pharisees, they practiced their religion in order to be recognized and praised by other people. 
Now, I want to warn you, I'm going to be equally offensive to everyone right now. And my reason for doing this is so that it gets you to think and reflect on your actions, on my actions. It's not to promote a specific political position. It's not for the purpose of getting you to take a specific side on a social issue. I'm wanting to get you to think, to think about how you are practicing your faith. So I will likely make people angry at this statement, but stick with me. Today, if you're on any social media platform, you are being conditioned to do the very thing that Jesus is warning us about. Are you familiar with the term virtue signaling? The Urban Dictionary defines virtue signaling as this. The support of a cause in order to show off how much more moral you are than everybody else. Virtual, virtue signaling. Recently, a book came out by two secular philosophers entitled Grandstanding, The Use and Abuse of Moral Talk, and it's published by Oxford University Press. And I want you to listen to the warning these secular authors give. Quote, Invoking sacred words, justice, dignity, rights, equality, or honor, tradition, faith, and family, they magically transform our nasty, abusive, selfish behavior into something heroic and praiseworthy. You want to be cruel to those people you don't like and have your like-minded peers congratulate you? Wrap your behavior in high-flying moral language and voila! Brave, admirable, speaking the truth to power. End quote. Their point is that virtue signaling is a means of satisfying our desire for others to recognize us as good people. Now, doesn't that sound just like the hypocrisy of the Pharisees? Just as we use virtue signaling in order to look good, the Pharisees used religion to satisfy their desire for others to recognize them as good people. You see, hypocrisy flips the priorities of discipleship. As we learned about good deeds, we engage in good deeds so people may glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. The priority is to be God-receiving glory, but the number one priority for the Pharisees is greater social status. They want to be seen as good, so they use God and His Word as a way to receive praise is a way to receive glory from other people for themselves. Their priority is the praise of people, not for God to be glorified. Think about this. How do you think God likes being used by religious people so the religious can be honored by other people? Good question. When we use our service to God to bring ourselves honor, when we receive glory from others that should be directed towards God, here's what God says. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You see, when we steal God's glory, God declares in Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light, and that phrase means that he will cause it to be fully known. He will bring to light what is hidden, what is concealed, what is secret, what others cannot see, what, other, what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. God will make visible the hidden intentions of our actions. Are we honoring God or is it self-honor? And at that time, each will receive the praise from God. As a disciple of Jesus, how are you using Jesus and his teachings? Is your hidden intent to glorify God or to use Jesus in order to be honored? Now, Jesus gives three examples of practices where we may be tempted by improper motives. And the one we're going to focus on this morning is specifically giving. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus is speaking to a Jew Jewish audience, and as soon as Jesus says, give to the needy, it repeats what the Jews have known for generations in their faith. The Jews used the same word for both righteousness and giving to the needy. It's the same word. In Jewish thinking, you could not be righteous if you could not practice being generous to the needy. To give to the poor was to gain praise in the sight of God. In fact, one rabbinic saying stated this, quote, Greater is he who gives to the needy than he who offers all the sacrifices. In ancient times, if you were a beggar and you wanted to increase the amount that people gave to you on the street corner, one of the best things you could do when the money hit the bottom of your cup, when it hit the bottom of the basket or it landed on your hand, the best thing you could do as a beggar was to make a big deal about the person's generosity. You see, there was a custom in many ancient Middle East countries where people would, for religious reasons, take a vow of poverty and live off of people's generosity. And these religious beggars would carry with them a trumpet. And when someone would give them money, they would honor that person's generosity by blowing the trumpet. I wonder, I wonder if that is the image Jesus is referring to here. But even if it's not, the Pharisees loved to give to the beggars who were loudest in honoring the donor for their gift. You could literally say the Pharisees gave in order to toot their own horn. They used the poverty of the poor to receive the applause of others for their generosity. And in response to that, Jesus says they have received their reward. And that's a stinging statement to the Pharisees. There's a book called Tobit. It's a devotional book the Jews read in the times of Jesus. And it says this, It is better to give alms than to lay up gold. Now listen to this next part. For almsgiving saves from death and purges away every sin. 
What many Jews believed was that by giving to the needy, they believed they could gain salvation, they could gain forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus says, you've already received your reward, Jesus is informing the Pharisees that their generosity has received full payment. How? Through the praise of people. Their generosity will not remove any of their sins because they desired praise over the cleansing of their sins. To avoid the righteousness of the Pharisees, here's what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. Verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say, if you give to the needy. Jesus expects generosity will be common practice in the lives of his disciples. And that's why Jesus says, when you give. But the attitude of the disciples is to honor God by giving in secret. But there's a second attitude that we often miss. Disciples are to give to be rewarded by God the Father. You see, when we hear reward, we think of a first place ribbon, or we think of a trophy honoring our accomplishment. Is that the reward God the Father gives the secret giver? I don't think it is. You see, this word reward, it's the idea of receiving in full. Receiving in full and to be given a receipt for it. And that fits what Jesus is saying. If you give to the needy to gain the applause of people, well, here's your receipt. Your transaction is completed. You receive the applause you were looking for. But for the disciple of Jesus, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, that's a strange image. So what's the point? Well, the right hand for most people is the hand of action. It tends to do most of the writing, most of the carrying, reaching, opening, etc. The right hand is the hand of action. So imagine you're walking down the street and someone with a need is sitting there and your right hand acts. Out of mercy for the need, the right hand reaches into the pocket, pulls out money with little thought, and it slips it over to the person with the need. And as your right hand acts, your left hand, it's just chilling out as it dangles down around your left hip. Your left hand has no idea what the right hand is doing. Now get the picture. If the left hand doesn't know what's going on, the left hand, it can't get involved, can it? Now involved in what? Applause. Applause for yourself. Do you know how hard and strange it looks to clap with one hand? If you can't applaud for yourself, your receipt is waiting in heaven with the Father. Your applause will come from the Father instead of yourself. It will come from the Father instead of those who watch your generosity. A co commentator by the name of Besser explains it this way, quote, the temple had a special place where the bashful givers could place their gifts in a secret hidden location. 
to then be given to the bashful poor, who too were shy, too shy to ask for help. And the name given to this place in the temple was silence. The bashful giver did not know a thing about the bashful poor. The left hand did not know what the right hand was doing. Here's the point. Righteous giving says nothing. Righteous giving shows nothing. Righteous giving simply meets needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you help us, Lord. We pray that our acts of worship, rather, whether it's in corporate gatherings or whether it's in the private way we practice our faith by caring for people, may we always serve out of, the, out of a desire to bring the Father glory rather than to receive praise ourselves. Lord, thank you for the opportunity you give us as the church to impact people's lives. And Lord, help us to do it with the attitude that Jesus is calling us towards in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, be glorified through the ministry of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.